Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Midtown Atlanta, it's time for Health Connect South Radio. Now here's your host, C.W. Hall. Good morning, everyone. It is C.W. Hall, your host here on the Health Connect South Radio show. Thanks for making us a part of your day today. Good morning, C.W. How you doing? Been Jay off Schaefer. for a couple of weeks for Independence Day holiday. Slacker. So nice to be back. Yeah. So do you remember how to do this? I'll have to work my way back into it. Yeah. So <laughs> I didn't have much to unlearn. So that's good. Well, as we head down into the closing weeks ahead of the September Health Connect South event, uh, we're going to be gearing up for that, having folks on the show over the next few weeks that sort of lead into that discussion. Talk about a little bit what we're going to be going into oh, sure. at the main event. Yeah. While I've been out slacking, the Health Connect South Program Committee has been really busy putting together the program. So on September 21st at the Georgia Aquarium, they're going to talk about the top 10 disease states and what people, innovation and partnerships that people in the Southeast are working on to tackle those and what we're going to try and do over the next few weeks is bring together some of the people like a preview of the panelists, the ones that have been committed. For example, there's going to be talk about heart disease and diabetes or cancer research. So just stay tuned. Uh, go to healthconnectsouth.com now. You know you're going to go, so might as well get the early bird discount. Register using the Radio X coupon. Just stay tuned. We'll give you some preview of coming attractions. They'll be talking about some of the resources they're currently deploying to take on some of these disease states, as well as getting into some of the resources they would like to be able to identify that might accelerate the rate at which we overcome some of these, reduce the, some of the uh, rates of occurrence for some of these illnesses that are facing so many people around the globe. So uh, make sure you pay attention to that. and. Uh, share the information as we put it out because you might just end up putting information in the hands of somebody that really has a key to help one of these organizations do what they're trying to do. And building along that same line, today's conversation is aimed at some of those topics. We've got uh, Sam Perkins with us here of PureGenics, and we're going to be getting into how their technology is able to help hospitals and other healthcare environments better handle and eradicate certain pathogens, if you will, from being the problem that they are. Um, so, Sam, thanks for taking some time to sit in with us today. CWJ, appreciate being here this morning. And as you can gain from his voice, he has a little bit of history in radio. <laughs> Very little. <laughs> How did you get here to PureGenics? Talk about your background and what, what prompted you to, uh, to start this thing. Well, actually... It's an interesting journey. I love startup companies, early stage companies, and uh, love identifying things that will be able to change something. And so this was uh, brought to my attention seven years ago, and I looked at it and thought, oh my gosh, this is all about health. It's not about equipment cleaning, which is how the base technology had been used historically. And I was recently talking with a an infectious disease physician. We were getting into C. difficile, actually. And I'm sure in your work with PureGenics, you've probably run into that topic as well. One of the things that uh, this physician was talking about was how challenging it is once it's been found to be in the hospital environment. Typically, that's where patients are being exposed to it from a, uh, once you go into the hospital and, and acquire it. It can be difficult to get rid of it 
for the patient, as well as once it's in a hospital, it can be very challenging to eradicate it, among others. Things like uh, MRSA, for example, is another one that's very common, very difficult to treat, and also very difficult to eliminate from the environment. And some of the things that we talked about were focusing on hand washing, focusing on cleaning equipment, cleaning the beds, for example, and things like that where these patients have been. And your solution tackles one of those often ignored elements that ends up being one of the big reasons why some of these pathogens are able to hang around and continue to re-manifest themselves, as you will. Yeah, that's that's correct, CW. Uh, hand washing clearly is important. It's very well understood. And the surface cleaning, whether it's the inside of the room or the equipment, is extremely important. But there's one overlooked issue in there. And I can, I can relate one story about a solution that we uh, created for somebody in an endoscopy suite, which as you might imagine, is a place where C. diff is very active. Mm -hmm. And so as you go through the process and the procedure, there's a lot of air going into the, uh, the patient that expires out, goes into the room, the environment, and they were following all the appropriate protocols, hand washing, surface cleaning, all those things, and yet they still have a C. diff issue. Well, one of the things that's uh, not looked at is if, if uh, anybody is sitting in, in inside of a hospital or someplace where they're listening right now, you just take a look up and you'll see air returns. And as air is in a room, it will go into the air return. And where is it going? It's going to a place that nobody ever looks, and that's called the air handling unit. And in there, C. diff will grow. It will uh, uh, c connect with other pathogens also, little microbes. It'll grow. And so they, they go through the procedures during the day. They uh, follow the proper procedures of hand washing. They follow the proper cleaning procedures. And then what happens is, is that they turn off the lights, they leave, and then the air handling system acts like a sprinkler system of C. diff. <laughs> it's, it's kind of a nasty way of looking at it. But yeah. that's, I think that's a good visual for you. And so what happened was, is that we actually came in and installed our system at an appropriate level. We can design the energy field to match the target uh, pathogen. So in healthcare, we use very strong energy fields to uh, to create this in the air handling unit. So all air passes by the air handling unit. It's the place to treat the air. And so as a result, we install, and two weeks later, they didn't have a C. diff problem. So you're tackling the issue at its source. Yeah. Um, you know, one of my analogies, Jay, that I like to use is poison ivy. If you're going to go into your garden and eradicate poison ivy, do you start at the end opposite of the root? <laughs> no, yeah. but you know how it grows little vines and things where it's been in there. If you go back to the root of the problem, eliminate it. You're still going to get little poison ivy vines in there. So you need right. to do the equivalent of hand washing or your surface cleaning. You, it's not as if one's without the other. But this is an overlooked reservoir of these things like C. diff, MRSA, all can exist in an air handling unit. Yeah, different pathogens. Some of them will produce spores, for example, that are kind of like tiny little microscopic or near microscopic seeds, if you will, that can, uh, in a dry form, float around on air currents and uh, be carried around by the air handler, C. difficile and MRSA. These uh, pathogens can become airborne on tiny droplets of water and be carried around by the air handler. So a number of different pathogens that can make us sick uh, can be moved around in this way. And so talk about exactly what it is that the purogenic system is doing in the air handling unit. I and mean, what are we doing? You said you mentioned something yeah. about an energy field. So yeah. 
zapping the bugs somehow. So how does it how does it work? Interesting. An oversized bug zapper yeah, for undersized like, oh, items. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> so what we did was we patented the, patented this uh, platform uh, utilizing UVC lamps, and it it creates an angle. So you can think of it as a cross angling attack. Um, creating a more uniform curtain of energy built out of UVC. And what we do is we then design that energy field for various levels. We refer to that as an ultraviolet rating value, a URV. Um, for those familiar with filtration, they would use the equivalent of a MERV rating as they call it. So we can build these energy fields off of this patented platform to address the pathogen. So what we're doing is we're installing a portion of this energy field downstream of the cooling coil. And we also utilize the space upstream of the cooling coil to be able to then get a longer extension of time as the air moves through. Because what we're doing is, think of it as, um, oh, when you go out and you go sunbathing, you do that in the middle of summer because there's more energy. Mm -hmm. Well, the reason we use the upstream is because those lamps can create more energy. It's kind of like summertime versus wintertime where you have lower temperatures because okay. of what you've cooled it. The other part of it is, is that you uh, spend time laying on the beach. You know that a half hour of exposure in the middle of the day is a lot, right? So what we're doing is we're extending the time. So you can think of it as the ability to eliminate the pathogen as a function of energy in time. And so we're using that space to do it at the pivot point of all air, outside air and return air has to go past our energy field. So when you're talking about, say, a hospital, for example, mm -hmm. I've never really, having worked in hospitals many years over time, uh, never really con contemplated the air handling units for those massive facilities. You're not alone. <laughs> <laughs> are they are they typically like in a house? Is it a central unit usually or are there multiple units? How do they how do you end up getting deployed? It's, it's, it's usually multiple units. So one of our, our wonderful projects we did, so up at uh, Wellstar Paulding, for example, there are 17 air handling units of various sizes. And that covers basically all the air that's being moved around throughout that facility. In fact, it addresses all the air that moves throughout that facility indeed. Would you say that in some cases, maybe a hospital tries it in, in maybe a, either a high risk area, a high traffic area, or, you know, areas where maybe there's pathogens may be more likely to be present and dip their toe in the water in that way and then maybe expand from there? Yeah, we've seen that most definitely. We prefer to do the entire hospital so they can see the whole thing because you want to treat holistically the entire building because these don't just get restricted to a certain area. Correct. But I think one, one, one instructive uh, matter we took care of, so there was a hospital that had a problem with MRSA, which, oh, by the way, here I have uh, CW. I brought MRSA for, <laughs> for you, so... Don't say I didn't do anything for you here. I'm going to give you MRSA. Yeah, I got for, oh. for for those. Uh, no, this isn't video, so see. Uh, Sam brought some we'll, plush toys we'll, here. We'll, we'll post it a looked, photo. Yeah, here. put <laughs> well, that on I, the blog. I literally post too. got MRSA in my hand, and I'm watching <laughs> Sam hold on to Ebola. Yeah, over there. and so here, Jay. Well, oh, while we're at it, I'm going to give you oh, Ebola. I get Ebola. Cool. This is great. <laughs> Thank you, Jay. With Ebola. I didn't bring anything Jay, for you, Jay, so I apologize. Hold up the Ebola. Oh, cool. Yeah, Jay looks happy to have Ebola right now. <laughs> well, he, like, you're showing us the cobras beforehand. It looks like a little snake. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about superbug MRSA for a moment. Uh, MRSA is simply a form of Staphylococcus aureus, right? It's a staph infection that doesn't respond to methicillin, right? So this uh, particular OB ward had a problem with uh, a MRSA outbreak. They didn't understand why. Uh, and CW probably recognized, having worked in hospitals, that the emergency departments are the 
biggest introduction point for MRSA yeah. in a hospital, right? Yeah. yeah, most of us are walking around with it, or many of us are walking around with it on our person right now. Right, but in particular, the emergency rooms are the places where you're gonna find it. So it just turned out that this particular OB ward shared the air handling unit with the emergency department. So what was happening was it was circulating through, even though there was no sourcing, uh, you ended up with this um, uh, MRSA outbreak. Well, we installed inside the air handling unit for the ED and the uh, birthing ward. And by golly, if the MRSA problem didn't go away. How are they analyzing the presence of it? Are they culturing services, things like that, and obviously watching for patient incidents of occurrence as well. But I mean, when they go into the environment to try to evaluate its presence, is that what they're doing? Are they doing culture swabs, if you will, of different parts of the surfaces and so forth in a, in a space? Yes, that's, uh, that's the technology available today, basically, is your, your, your good old-fashioned take a swab, put it on to a, um, a place where it can grow, uh, put it away, and then they, then they count under microscope the, uh, the number of things. They call them colony forming units, CFUs. So there's not an automated process for doing that now? There's no iPhone app to... Uh, not yet, okay. but boy, if there's anybody listening out there that has it, please call me. <laughs> <laughs> Talking to CEO of a company called Purogenic, Sam Perkins with us in the studio as we're building towards the September Health Connect South event where we're going to be talking about how we are addressing a number of major disease states around the globe. Uh, one of the things that we're talking about here with Sam is how their system is able to be deployed within a healthcare environment, and it is able to then treat the air moving through the centralized air handling units that are in place in these environments, and then able to extract airborne pathogens that are floating around, being redistributed and moved about, and and essentially stored in a reservoir, if you will, there in those central or air units, if not being treated, uh, such that even with good hand-washing uh, procedures and protocols being followed, and even with high-quality uh, protocols for surface cleaning, for example, and, and terminal scrubs, if you will, after a room has been utilized, it's then reseeded, if you will, when the HVAC turns on <laughs> and blows more uh, molecules of these organisms all over the environment once again, um, just like a sprinkler, and then re, you know, restarting the process all over again and, and more patients are being exposed. Their system is able to come in and basically all but eradicate that problem or that part of the problem anyway from being the issue that would cause one of these types of outbreaks to continue within a hospital. And as our uh, infectious disease specialist uh, that I spoke to a while back talked about, it can be very difficult for a hospital to get rid of it. Uh, C. difficile being one of those that certainly makes elderly patients going into a hospital very, very sick, can certainly um, cause them to die, if not be uh, severely ill and severely compromised, making them stay in the hospital much more uh, lengthy stays. And that in and of itself is a source of uh, major cost for a hospital and source of loss. And those types of things can also impact their downstream revenue because those types of events end up coming into play when it, when it comes to value-based reimbursement that we're utilizing today uh, to determine how well is a hospital or a physician practice delivering care to you. So their system is clearly aimed at helping that be better improved and along the way of cost expenditures overall, as well as patient outcomes in the, in the uh, process. 
And, and that's just it. This is not a product that we buy. This is a system that we're going to install. Um, once we have it in place, is it, are there kind of like in my HVAC, I have filters that I have to replace every few weeks. How does, from a systems perspective, a facilities perspective, if I'm a facilities manager, a chief you know, executive that's over facilities, once I have the system in place, I mean, is it set it and forget it? Or are there things that I have to replace? How does that flow? Sure. There's, um, there's a process of generating ultraviolet C-band. And um, <clears throat> even the sun makes that, just so you know. But because we have ozone, it doesn't get here. So it's a very high energy source. And to create that requires um, a, a specially designed lamp. And as a result, they decline in the amount that they put out. So they have to be replaced every year. Okay. So what we do is um, actually we use a branding of, uh, for the hospitals to be able to talk about what they're doing called Pure Hospital. And when we come in and uh, create and design the system, uh, we also then offer to continue to care for the system along with the branding so they can continue to assure their patients as well as their employees that they're doing everything they can to address the underlying question. You know, prevention, prevention, prevention is almost like in now in, I think, in disease, uh, uh, infectious disease is what location, location, location is to real estate, right? Mm-hmm. We're, as Dr. Serena Vassan has said from the CDC, we're at the end of antibiotics. Yeah. So if we're at the end of antibiotics, that means prevention, prevention, prevention becomes important. That's, that's, that's an important role we play. So yeah, these systems need to be maintained so that you continue to have that opportunity to uh, address those pathogens that uh, could exist. And maintain their certification too, right? Absolutely. To maintain the certification as a pure hospital because then... Just imagine the question, uh, you know, we, we create these uh, mock-up uh, billboards for the hospital uh, folks. Very interesting to your, usually to your chief executive officers that, uh, would you like this billboard put across the street from you or would you like to put it across the street from your competition? It usually has a picture of a cute little baby and it says, shouldn't, shouldn't her first breath be pure? We think so, you know, kind of moment. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about something that you can't, we're a pure hospital. Well, I, I can see clearly why it wouldn't absolutely make sense. I mean, it doesn't take very many of these types of adverse events, hospital-inquired infections, for those expenses to really add up to a large number on an annual basis because they happen on an ongoing basis. I remember the statistics that one of our previous guests, when we were talking about hospital-acquired infections, was, I want to say, it was like 140,000 people. It was a significant number of people that are affected by hospital acquired problems like these types of well, infections there's yeah. we're talking about a lot of people you are in fact uh, uh, national institute of health um published uh four years ago five years ago a number that says it's 1.7 million infections from a hospital per year and a hundred thousand people right. die from those right that's the number right well, uh, the third leading cause in some of these hospitals is unknown the atrogenic or whatever and you said hospital acquired infection the eight the CDC now calls it healthcare associated infection. There you go. So they keep healthcare. the same three TLA, three letter acronym, but now don't you feel safer that <laughs> instead of hospital acquired, it's now healthcare associated infections? Yeah. Well, so, that's that's true. But, no matter and, what it is, it's true. And, and they do. I, I went to the site and they have state by state, and Georgia is 
Uh, the C diff one is one we're behind the other states, but some of the other states were well. So I, I recommend I'll put the link to this on the blog. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen these different yeah. charts, but state by state, it says the ones that you're talking about, MRSA. I don't know if you have plush toys for every one of them, but uh, I have plush toys for several of them. I just only brought one for <laughs> so each. So maybe of that'll be a good uh, blog post. We can have the little plush toy and how George is doing compared to the other ones. But I thought it was interesting that uh, that this is a known problem and there's a solution for it. It just seems like part of what you're facing, Sam, is what every startup faces. You've got a new idea, but everybody does things the old way. Can you talk about some of the challenges that you go through to get to the right people to to make these decisions to put pure genics in. Yeah, I usually don't like to talk about the things that are challenges like that, but I'll, I'll step right up for you, Jay. Um, so one of the great challenges is, and then let's just let's just face it, we have a bunch of really smart people in healthcare, right? They're very, they're trained to read, they're trained to study, um, and they research. And until you have a lot of studies, if if we were to look at what in essence is the old uh, more technology adoption curve, you'll find healthcare is largely a late majority buyer they're waiting for the 10 studies for the most part. So you have yeah. to find have to find the innovators inside of healthcare mm -hmm. that want to lead the way, the ones that are innovators, the early adopters, the ones who want to lead before the 10 studies exist, the ones that want to come in and say, I'm going to do something about this. We look for those innovators. That's the challenge. But, and that's our audience. Well, and, and there you have it. That's why you're I'm, here at Health I'm, 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 I'm happy to be here for that reason. You know, um, the, the curious thing is, is that once they touch it, once they understand it, you get something that happens that they they now begin to comprehend what's going on. I'm sure half the battle is just getting the conversation to begin with. Absolutely. I can't really see a lot of reasons why I wouldn't deploy this into my hospital outside of um, we just we our budget isn't you know, we just finished the budget and it's not got room for that right now, but we'll include it in the next uh, in the next go around, I can maybe see that, but telling me that uh, I'm waiting for more for more data, I challenge yeah. anybody that would say that to jump out of an airplane without a parachute. Yeah, well, you know the the interesting part about this is that there's another aspect to this that gives them a payback. We've talked all about the health, which is the core reason we exist. We want to change the environment for patients and employees. Okay. But there's also an energy payback in a retrofit setting because we're able to remove um, the barriers to the efficiency of the air handling unit. And I'll tell you exactly why. Think of it as the fan in an air handling unit is having to push through this cooling coil. It's mm -hmm. a whole series of aluminum fins like in a window unit that mm -hmm. you've probably seen. So when these microbes grow, it blocks. And just much like your heart having vein blockages, it has to work harder. Remove those blockages and the fan can slow down. And all of a sudden you save a tremendous amount of energy on that alone. So and then arteriosclerosis for the air system. <laughs> there you go. So you're yeah. saying the the presence of these organisms can actually create a, a bit of a bio burden, if you will, yes. that actually impedes airflow. Yes, not only that, but also in, in um, what what was also understood, and I won't get into the, the the technicalities of it, but cooling is actually the extraction of heat. All right, that's what you're doing. You're extracting heat. Mm -hmm. So uh, I guess by analogy. So uh, Elizabeth Warland came up with this analogy for us, and that was when you put a koozie on your beer or your, your Coke, um, it's a good thing. You're trying to block the heat transfer from your hand to the can so you can keep your beer or your Coke cold, right? 
in an air handling unit, just one micron, just a very small amount. Um, that's, by the way, a piece of paper in front of me is six mm -hmm. microns. So one micron will block your thermal transfer efficiency by 15%. That's probably too technical. Hmm. But think of it as a koozie on your cooling coil is bad. A koozie on your Coke or your beer is good. So when we remove that koozie from the cooling coil, it becomes more efficient. So guess what Intriguing. happens? What happened? A lot of things happen. One, moisture control happens again, humidity control, because now the system is dropping out humidity. You're hitting dew point. You're hitting your set points in your rooms because your air handling unit is now pushing out the proper temperature of air. And your volume of air increases because your fan is now pushing it through an unblocked arteriosclerotic air handling unit. Volume of clean air, purified <laughs> yeah, air too. Absolutely. Yeah. Having been in healthcare for a number of years now, I've heard this argument posed numerous times. I need to see more data. I need to see more. There needs to be more research done. And I was saying earlier, I challenge those people not to jump out of an airplane without a, uh, or without a parachute because there's never been a level one study done to determine whether parachutes are actually necessary for a fall from a great height because there have actually been documented events where someone fell from a huge height thousands of feet and actually survived without a parachute yeah and there have been people who were using parachutes that perished so it might be stated that maybe you know we need to do studies to determine if parachutes are truly necessary to protect you from a fall from a great height it, it, it basically illustrates that was actually in the british uh, journal of medicine talking about how sometimes we can we can inhibit our progress by declaring that the only way that I will move forward uh, and make a decision is if I see a level one double blind randomized controlled study uh, to make sure that this is, is valid. And in fact, that's not always the case. Uh, and sometimes it's impossible to do that. But on that note, it, are there studies out there that talk about the, the, you know, the value of treating the air moving through a hospital environment? There are, there, there's one study in particular in the journal of perinatology uh, that's very interesting on that question. Um, but most importantly, let's, let's back up and ask why does healthcare ask that question of why I want the studies? It's because you're talking about invasive procedures that might harm somebody, right? Do no harm, right? You want to do good. And so the question is, if you have an environment which you're already doing bad, what's wrong with introducing good? Um, the idea being that it's the reverse question. So we're used to behaving in this way because we're not going to put this new catheter in until we have the full studies done. We aren't going to put this item in until we have the full studies done, right? Because you're making an invasion into the body. I understand why healthcare thinks that way. I'm glad they do. It makes me less likely to have something put into me that's bad, right? On the other hand, when you're talking about something where you already have a bad situation and uh, how many studies do you need is a great question. And we'll still press forward with studies, but how do you go and study? You know, Jane Goodall found out she had to go study them in the, in the forest. Well, how do you isolate this issue in a hospital when hospitals also are so doggone sensitive to liability? We are always challenged to get data because our customers have a problem, okay? They know they have a problem and we can solve it. I can't talk about it. Right. That's can't a challenge. can't share that I helped Hospital X. Correct. Just because Hospital X isn't real keen on having it out there that, hey, we had a C. difficile problem in part of our facility. I have a really great study that was done that I can't share. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I do. It's just, it's, it's the way 
it's the way that it is. They used it internally and they, uh, they, they determined what needed to be done. And, and I can't share it because uh, it's their internal study. Mm-hmm. And um, that's always a challenge uh, to be able to come in. It's like, oh, sure, we'll bet. But, you know, here, here's one I can share with you, though, if I may, CW. Mm-hmm. Here's, a, here's a great story. Now, this is not a data point, but it's a, it's a real life kind of like uh, it's being. It's a case study. How about it's like Jane Goodall going out into the jungle. I'll be Jane here for a moment. And so out in the jungle, um, there's this fella, um, uh, Junior Bearden. He'll tell you the story. He's up at Wellstar Paulding. Um, In fact, uh, he um, even gave us us this this quote um, on video, which we have not yet utilized. But so Junior will tell you that he's a uh, liver transplant survivor. And he has to take anti-rejection medication the rest of his life, which makes him susceptible to pathogens, right? Well, before Wellstar built its new Paulding Hospital, he was known for wearing a mask because he didn't want to get sick. So when you go in patient areas, he'd wear a mask. And yet he would also tell you that he would usually get sick five, six times um, uh, a year. If you were to see Junior today, you'd notice he doesn't have a mask on and he doesn't wear a mask. He's, he'll tell you, in fact, he said to me, Sam, I have so much confidence in what you have done. I don't wear a mask anymore. And he goes, oh, by the way, I've only been ill one time in the two years we've been open. One time in the two years been open, and I, I didn't get it here. So the pure genics, the pure hospital environment works for him. It absolutely. And you're talking about a liver transplant survivor. And he'll oh. tell you, and he's the one that's familiar with the units. And, and he is, he knows these systems. And he is also that one of those great, great people that will happily share about his experience Mm -hmm. and so in this particular facility instance have they achieved the pure hospital status are they they deployed on a level that that brings them to that or they have a little bit more yet to do it's it's available to them if they want to use it um it's uh it's a question i understand where you just want to sit down and and let's let's evaluate before we press forward because we're talking about a system-wide change that we might make but let's just say that at least they've uh, they've they've kept eligibility and they're, they 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 could if they chose to. So what takes you up to that final level that lets you say we are a pure hospital? Well, what's going on inside a pure hospital is that every single air handling unit has a minimum of what we refer to as a URV fourteen. All right, we have some hospitals that are actually uh, deploying up to 16s and 18s. And all that is is an energy level. We just, it's our language. It's hard to translate for you. Just say it has a whole bunch of energy and kill a whole bunch of stuff, Mm -hmm, okay? mm -hmm. And uh, so long as they maintain that uh, system at its uh, end of life value, which is how we, in a year's time, everything has to be taken care of, it's maintained, they can have that pure hospital designation, which in, in that designation, what we're saying is, the core air is being treated here. They've eliminated one place they have to look if they do have a problem. It would ha- they can better identify and pinpoint actually the real source of the problem. How, how significantly is this technology able to clean and eradicate pathogens from air as it passes through that energy field? Well, that's, um, well where it depends upon um, the level of energy. It depends upon speed of air, temperatures, several factors. Um, that's why we love to get into projects early on before the design is done by the engineers. They're not used to putting space around the cooling coils. So think of space as being uh, time because air is moving through. So it has to go through a certain amount of space. So we try to get more space upstream of the cooling coil where we can get more effectiveness, right? Out of the, it's summertime up there, right? Mm-hmm. We're, a longer conveyor belt, so to speak. Exactly. Yeah. Um, um, uh, this sh- should have occurred to me before when we were talking about this in preparation, but are there other industries that like the space program or where they do clean room manufacturing? Is there any 
similarities between what you're trying to do here for the hospitals with any of those industries? Well, there are, there are, there are certainly carryovers. Um, you have to go where the microbes are the issues. Um, and that's the important part and where you need a dosed uh, uh, application. So there are applications. So the space industry has its own application already, or we wouldn't have astronauts living on a space station, right? Right, right. right. Yeah, so, so there's got to be some. They've done something, but the price of that might be a little high for a hospital, just so you're aware, <laughs> to do the quantity of air. Um, okay. And we also have a lot of sailors on submarines, right? Submariners. They're, they, they're dealing with these issues differently. So what we're trying to do is create a system that will address the microbes in the environment on a targeted basis, that is to design it. Um, but there are other applications. So let me let me tell you a story you can relate to, Jay. Okay. Um, this is at the Washington and Lee Library. We've done law school and library. And so why would you do those? Mold. Um, but that's not the original reason we did it. We did it on, for energy conservation for the reasons I shared mm -hmm. earlier, although we just didn't talk about the air aspect. So I took the librarian, Mr. Tom Bargy, up to the air handling units to show him the bling in his HVAC because these lamps and everything mm -hmm. lighted up. It's blue. It just, mm -hmm. you know, it's it, it looks pretty space agey, right. right? So he goes up, he takes a look at it. He goes, that's really neat. This is a great energy. I said, yeah, there's another. Uh, he said it was a great energy project. And I said, yes, it was. Um, we had a payback that was very, very fast in your instance. We made their old systems operate like new. 35-year-old air handling units operating at better so you're saying so. that they were able to look at post installation rates and see that their utility consumption was or their energy consumption was boom it was yesterday and today and you can see the difference yeah i, I could excite if there are any engineers mechanical engineers listening i'll get them really excited here for a moment um, because <laughs> um they talk about what we call delta t or the change in temperature yeah. right so it's an extraction if it's designed of a delta t of 10 you're extracting 10 degrees all right, as you go through. Well, they went down to from a nine to a five before we installed. After we installed, it went to 13. Engineers go, but that can't happen. And the answer is, you're right. If Except they over-designed it, and that's why we got that. We can't make equipment operate better than what it's designed to do. But at the WL Library, after he was all excited about the energy side, as walking down, I was explaining to him as we're going down the stairs um, about the air impact that we had over at the law school that was measured. They did a before and an after. So if you have in a building, the outside air always contains a certain amount of mold. It's, it's naturally occurring, right? If filtration works, you should only have 45% of that in the building because you should be taking 55% out. At WNL, they had 105% average indoor. The mold was growing on the books and, and going and <laughs> I tell you another story about some of the faculty too. Well, that's a different story. <laughs> I'll, I'll make sure the dean hears that from you. Yeah. Um, so my contributions in. It's all right. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so we're walking along. I'm talking to him. He goes quiet. He's very quiet. And he walks to his office and he stops. And he turns around this look on his face and he says, "You know, Sam, one of the occupational hazards of being a librarian is sinus infections." And I wow. haven't had one in the last year. Oh my gosh. And I checked back with him, uh, now it'd be two years, three years, and he's not had any sinus infections in the last <laughs> three years after we've installed it's, it's The idea is it, that's, that's part of what happens. That's a non-healthcare application. Libraries, mm -hmm. applications in libraries, museums to protect from microbe degradation attacks. So these things would be a, a, also another one. And 
we did a project for uh, an aquarium that will remain nameless. Um, but uh, think of it as uh, you have these animals that are out in the middle of the ocean. They have no immune system to soil-borne fungus. They don't have to deal with it, right? They don't have to have an immune system to human-carried um, microbes, right? Your bacteria. And you got a lot of it. We're all walking around sharing bacteria all day oh, long, yeah. right? Well, they're not used to having that. So you put them into an aquarium, and now they have to use antifungals, antibiotics, and such things. And uh, we had a nice success story in being able to apply it in, in an aquarium environment. Interesting. So one of the things that we have uh, as a mission here at Health Connect South is not only to be able to identify healthcare assets that are available that can improve overall health of our communities, but also we want to know from those healthcare organizations, what are they looking for? What do they need? And when they sit around the boardroom to to plan and to talk about how to move their initiatives forward. So in this case, awareness obviously is one of the big key things. Having the uh, folks that are in charge of these types of issues becoming familiar with the fact that the purogenic solution is out there and available to them. And in fact, not only can it help reduce the rate of hospital-acquired infections, uh, but it can also drop some revenue to the bottom line through greater energy efficiency for their air handling units. And I know that those are big consumers of energy and they're running all the time, but resource-wise, you know, needs-wise, what are you all looking for? We're looking for the innovators out there that, that really care about their employees. We've seen some reduction in absenteeism um, as a result of healthcare workers that are living in this environment all day long where we take people there intentionally because they're sick. And these healthcare workers are working in that environment. If we can help clean up that environment for them, it makes them healthier. It improves also the operation for the, uh, the hospital because they don't have to have the substitutes. They can keep their care and quality consistent because they have the same team together all the time. And uh, we're looking for those that really, really, really want to get to zero. Um, one particular uh, CEO of a hospital said, I've been wanting to do this for a while. We get about three infections a year that we can identify. They're clearly there, and uh, we believe we can get to zero, and we believe you're part of that. So I'm looking for those executives that truly want to get to zero, and uh, they have a very large unaddressed issue that we can help them with, not in place of hand washing, not in place of surface cleaning, not in place of all those things, but in supplement too. Mm -hmm. Key piece of a three-legged stool. We like to say air surface hands. Um, you got to do air surface hands like a three-legged stool. Um, and uh, it all begins with the air because there's one thing every person that steps into a hospital shares. It's the air every single time. Mm -hmm. Workers and patients alike. We're all breathing the same air. The other thing you said that was so powerful too is if we're at the end of antibiotics, this is going to have to be a Seems like it's prevention going forward. It is. You know, the, uh, one of my favorite authors, and if, if I can recommend a, uh, two books, is by Jason Anthony Tetro. His first one was called The Germ Code, and the second one is called The Germ File. And one of the things that helped change my mind about how to talk about this also was that this is not a war. Wars have victories. Bacteria was here before us. Bacteria is here now. Bacteria is adapted to us being here. And the idea is how do we live with the existence of bacteria. And I believe we're part of that solution of living with, because the last thing you want to do is allow it the opportunity to crossbreed in the air handling units, 
be redistributed to air handling units, be distributed to the community at a point where we're intentionally gathering people who are ill. How do folks get in touch with you and your team to determine whether that solution is right for their particular environments? Well, you most certainly can find us on the web at www.puregenics, spelled P-U-R-G-E-N-I-X.com. Uh, there you'll find information about us for sure. Um, and uh, quite frankly, you can feel free to email me, Sam, at puregenics.net. Okay. And also on the September 21st, one of the panel breakouts is going to be it's the working tower right now. It's breathe easy, understanding lung problems. So this will be right <laughs> up your alley, Sam. So that'll be you. good. So for everybody, remember it's the top disease states and what innovations and partnerships like Pure Genics is doing here for what people in the Southeast are doing to attack these or live with these top disease states. So go to healthconnectsouth.com and register using Radio X discount code. If you have not done so already and look in the upper left-hand corner of the show page, you'll see the Apple logo there. That'll take you over to the iTunes store where the Health Connect South radio show podcast lives. Make sure you subscribe to us. And that way, when the new episode comes out each week, it'll be downloaded straight to your device, ready for you to check it out whenever it's convenient for you. And we hope you turn around and share this information with your social media networks. We're all about sharing the information that we uh, we get here on the show with the rest of the community, because as we talked about, we're trying to put resources together and you might just share it with the right person that has a solution for one of these organizations. So we will say thank you in advance for doing so. And and Sam, I want to say thanks so much for coming by. I think the the technology solution that you all are providing is really cool. It's a, it's a nice uh, thing for us to get a chance to share that information with the community. It will be breathing easier. I hope by the time I have to go into the hospital, it'll be a pure hospital. I need to get one of those for my house. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you yeah. all for having me here too today. Yeah. I we hope to see it. you in September at the uh, Georgia Aquarium. Look forward to being there. And thanks for the plus toys. Appreciate it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah thanks for bringing, Ed, thanks nice, uh, for bringing us uh, Ebola and MRSA. They, they love me for giving you MRSA and Ebola. Most certainly. <laughs> thanks for sharing. Everybody yeah. out there, thanks for making us a part of your day today. Uh, we appreciate your time very much. We look forward to kind of showing up with you same time, same place next week. We'll see you then. <laughs> <laughs>